0: you. <smart noise> hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout women's lives. So Hormone Harmony isn't just for menopause. Any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take it, but it's perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put a woman's life on hold. Hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CHAT at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code CHAT for 15% off today. Therapy Chat podcast wouldn't exist without the support of its listeners. If you'd like to become a member, please go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. By making a $1 per month donation, you can help Therapy Chat keep going over the long haul. Thank you for your support. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I am bringing you a conversation with a very interesting guest. Danielle Matthew. Danielle is a licensed marriage and family therapist who works with victims of bullying in their families and educates schools, medical professionals, and the community about the bullying epidemic. Danielle is the author of The Empowered Child, How to Help Your Child Cope, Communicate, and Conquer Bullying, and the director of the Empowerment Space in Los Angeles. Danielle is a nationwide trainer, consultant, and speaker, and I'm very happy to have her here with me today to talk about how bullying impacts kids in the short term, how parents' reactions can make a difference, and how in the long term, people can be impacted by bullying, both the child and as parents, we our past experiences with bullying can impact the way we respond when we perceive that our child is being bullied. I think this is a really interesting conversation and I hope you're going to enjoy listening to my conversation with Danielle Matthew. So let's go ahead and get started. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I am so excited to bring you what I think is going to be a really interesting discussion with someone who is an expert on bullying. Today, my guest is Danielle Matthew, LMFT. Danielle, thanks so much for being on Therapy Chat today. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. You're welcome. Really glad we got connected with each other through our mutual friend, Mercedes Samudio, who yes. is doing amazing things and I love her. Yes, um, me too. <laughs> you know, I was really intrigued at you being an expert in bullying because it's something that For one, we all hear about bullying. Everybody knows bullying exists, but we don't necessarily realize how impactful bullying can be throughout someone's life. So I hope we can talk about that. But let's just start off by you telling our audience a little bit more about yourself and what you do.
1: So, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I've been in the business for over 20 years and I've done a lot of work with children and families in various settings, in private practice and nonprofits, and about Uh, A few years ago now, probably three or four years ago, I was working for an insurance company and I would do their clinical authorizations. And while I was there, I'd get so many phone calls about kids coming into inpatient units because I was on the specialty team for children and adolescents. And when I got these phone calls, a lot of the reasons these kids were coming into inpatient is they had threats to hurt themselves or tried to hurt themselves. Bullying seemed to be a really big issue. And I saw this across the country as I worked at my job. And I was really fascinated also because I had been bullied as a kid. So I really understood that resonated strongly with me. So I went ahead and hired an independent consulting company to do a needs assessment in my community because I was really curious to see how many community-based programs do we have for victims of bullying, consulting with you know, parents and educators in our community and professionals and therapists. And they came back to me three months later after they did their needs assessment and looked and interviewed people, did a survey monkey to get data and statistics. And they said, Danielle, We have some good news for you and we have some bad news for you. The good news is you don't have competition in the community for uh, a program in the community on bullying. But the bad news is you also don't have this program. Why is there not more competition? Certainly schools do different types of prevention programs all the time. But why is it that our community isn't doing more? So they said, why don't you go ahead and write a program and if you want to come back and you want it to become nonprofit status, we're happy to help you with it. So I spent the next year writing The the Empowerment Space, which is a 10-week program for uh, victims of bullying and we involve the parents. We have three meetings with the school. There's activity books for the parents to get involved with as well as for the kids. And it's pretty extensive. It's evidence-based practices. So there's a lot of questionnaires. So we get a baseline and see how the bullying progresses over the time they're in the program. And that's how I got my start. And then I was doing a lot of uh, speaking engagements or some. And I was told you have to write a book if you want to continue doing speaking engagements. And so (laughs) I wrote the book, The Empowered Child, How to Cope and Communicate and Conquer Bullying. And that was out in 2017. And uh that's kind of here I am today. And I also see clients in private practice and so I, I kinda like doing a lot of different things. And really bullying is my passion of
0: all. That's wonderful. And you know, I think one of the things that I thought of when you said that there was no competition and there was no no program existing that was just for helping people about, you know, who've experienced bullying. I just really feel like people adults don't think it's that big of a deal, and then there are a lot of adults whose kids are being bullied who feel so desperate, yeah, for help for their kid, and they don't know where to turn they don't
1: and I think you make a really good point, Laura, because the desperation I think leads to other behaviors sometimes mm-hmm. you know sometimes it leads to getting involved in the conflicts, uh talking to the coaches talking to the parents of the other children, and they get their own reactivity. And in my book, I talk a lot about how to really hold on to your own reactivity. Because when you're talking about such a triggering topic, I always suggest to parents, please don't do it after your boss yelled at you at work, you had a terrible fight with your kid or your spouse that day, be in a good place When you even have conversations about bullying, because it is such a triggering topic, whether they experienced it themselves or they don't understand, it can bring about a lot of feelings very quickly uh, when those conversations happen. So I really urge parents to be in a good enough space. When they're going to go in and have a conversation that's intense, which bullying really is because no parent wants their kid hurt. No kid want, no parent wants their kid wounded in any way. And a lot of times what I see that happens is kids don't want to tell parents what's really going on or they will give them half the story, but not the whole story because they don't want parents to worry about them. And they want to really handle the conflicts themselves. I see that a lot where kids don't want to involve their parents. And I understand because kids do have to feel empowered to handle conflict. But I do think there's still guidance and support that parents can provide, which is what I talk a lot about in my book with having empathy, empowerment and engagement as sort of a, a process to talk to your kids about bullying and really helping them through it by identifying what it is and how they feel with empathy and then with empowering them for a plan of action and asking them what they want to do, role-playing some scenarios of how they can handle themselves. And then the empower or empower engagement part, which is the last. Which is the follow up to the plan of action and whether it happens again. Because what I find with bullying is it repeats itself, unfortunately. It's not one of those one time deals when you have it and you're done. It can come back again. And so you always want to be checking in and following up to make sure everything's okay.
0: Yeah. So I want to ask you, I really want to break this down more because, you know, I'm thinking about, first of all, I also was bullied when I was a kid. So I'm thinking about that. And as I think about that, The things that happened that I considered to be bullying when I was a kid, I probably couldn't have explained it to an adult in a way that would have made it clear that the person was intentionally bullying me. So sometimes it was me feeling attacked when maybe that wasn't the other person's intention. And then other times it was someone who was so aggressive and scary to all the kids and they weren't singling me out, but I was terrified of them and it affected me a lot. So those are the kinds of things that I think for kids, it can be really hard to put into words to tell their parents, like, you know, I'm scared of that kid or Mm -hmm. they're a bully and, you know, for the parents to even understand what's really happening. So.
1: Yes, that's a very, very good point. Sometimes verbalizing it and what's happening and knowing if it's bullying too, because that's one of the things I talk a lot about in my book is what is bullying, and what is not bullying, you know, because those two words do get interchanged quite a bit, bullying and, you know, conflict resolution, let's just say, you know, mm-hmm. come into hand quite a bit. So to answer your question, how we break it down in my book, we talk about empathy first, which is how are you feeling? I'm wondering if you're feeling this. So we ask them first, what's their feeling? You know, what are they thinking? Are they angry? Are they sad? we can put an emotion to it and ask as a question, but we wanna make sure we ask them. Because what I see that happens a lot is parents will tell me how their kids are feeling versus asking. Mm -hmm. And I think that takes the power away instantly if we do it that way. We have to ask it as a question. And if they don't necessarily have the vocabulary to know how they're feeling, we can put it out there by saying, I'm wondering if you're feeling anxious right now. I'm wondering if you're feeling scared. And then we go from there once we know what the feeling is and what's happening. And then we would get to a point, hopefully, where they'd be able to share some of what's going on with them in terms of at school or with other kids once we kind of validate and mirror their feelings. That's the hope. And then we would go to engaging them in a a discussion about okay, so we've talked about you're scared. You're feeling anxious about the bullying at school. You're worried now that the two weeks of vacation that have gone by, you're going to go back. And will the cliques still accept you? Will your friends still talk to you? Because things got a little weird maybe before the break. That happens a lot. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, now let's talk about a plan of action. If you're worried that someone's going to have power over you over and over again and be truly bullied, what do you want to do about it? And we really leave a lot of freedom for the kids to come back with what feels good to them because we don't want it to be our thing. And if they need help, we can provide suggestions and it's really guidance of, of ideas and support and role-playing how things may go down. And then we follow up with, did it work a couple of days later? Do we need to fine tune any of we, what we've been working on? So we become just a helpful guide to our children and support them in their process of standing up to bullies. And I think that it gives them a lot of empowering feelings because they feel so low by the time they've been bullied. And we, usually by the time parents hear about it, it's been going on for quite some time. So they're already feeling pretty low. So we really approach them in a way to empower them. That, that what they say matters. Their voice matters. One of the things that I talk about as an example is that I did this at a high school not too long ago is we talked about what I'm seeing a lot of, and I don't know where if you can speak to this as well, is that kids, maybe middle school, high school kids are, in, are friends with both the bully and the victim. Mm-hmm. And they're in the middle of a situation going on where maybe the bully is attacking the victim and then the other kid is in the middle and doesn't know what to do and they want to save face because they don't want to look bad in front of the bully because that's also their friend and they don't want to be bullied as well. So what I've been telling a lot of kids is you still have a voice and they'll say, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, even in that moment, if you can't like support your friend who's being bullied and your other friend is hurting their feelings, you can go back to that friend later and ask if they're okay, do they want to talk? And there's still ways to use your voice. It's still powerful. Even if in the moment you don't want to Say anything because that's what I find a lot. Kids do not want, in the moment, necessarily say anything.
0: Yeah, because a lot of times the kids, like you said, they don't want to be bullied, so they feel like they're friends with both people, but also in a way they're afraid of the other person, yes, the bully, right. kid.
1: Yep, and it happens on sports teams. I, I hear a lot as well where they want to save face with their teammates, and yet one of them is being bullied, and you know, I, I hear that that happens that in a lot of different settings, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, the whole like relational aggression thing with girls.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That is really big. And when you, you and I were talking about a little bit that we both had our own experiences of being bullied as kids, I think the difference is we didn't have the relational aggression with social media. So that is where it really is a different world for me, at least right now than when I was a child. And it really brings that relational aggression in a whole new light than what I knew it even as a child, you know, who was ditched by the other girls who would laugh at me. And um, it, it's very different now. And what I tell girls sometimes is because what I see a lot of is the private text messages that girls have with each other. They get screenshot and mm-hmm. they get sent all over to an in Instagram, Snapchat, wherever they're, you know, doing stuff. And they feel very violated. And I, I get it, you know, but what I try to tell them is you're on stage when you're on social media at all times. So when you're on stage, anyone can view and see anything you do. But they're my friends. Why would they do that to me? I understand, but you just have to be aware of that so you're thoughtful with what you put out there, unfortunately. That's just the that you have to take that risk and be careful.
0: Yeah, and that's hard because with texting yes. is Texting is how they communicate so much more than talking now. And, you know, if you grew up, we didn't, but if someone who's say a teenager or young adult now grew up where texting is how you talk to your friends, it's like you would have a feeling of, I know that whatever I say could be shared with someone else, even if, you know, even if my friend doesn't intend that right now.
1: That's right. It could. And you always give the warning. Like with, when I talk to kids about in my practice about
0: social media
1: and being careful about things, they they have to be really responsible in how they use social media. And a lot of times teenagers and middle schoolers are impulsive. And so they're just kind of doing what they feel in the moment. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that ends up having... Um, it can hurt them in the end sometimes. And that's what we really work on a lot is how or to hurt help. someone else. Yes, or hurt someone else. Exactly. I've been hearing a lot and I just uh did an interview, uh the Washington Post put something out um that we spoke about and it's about this whole thing about roasting. Mm. And that's sort of the new bullying that's going on right now. Because you know, I think of roasting as we're at parties and adults kind of roast other adults for big birthdays or anniversaries. And I don't think about it that way, but a lot of middle schoolers are starting to use roasting as really a form of bullying. Um, And they do it via social media too, where it's actually on phones and stuff. They can do stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Well, it's that kind of, I'm joking, so you can't be offended by this, but really what I'm saying is very hurtful and I know it yeah. I'm kind of disguising it as just kidding. So right. it's a exactly. really passive aggressive type of communication, I would say.
1: It is. And you know, what I also see in my practice speaking of that is that kids who grow up as young adults, they still feel like the bullied child. If they didn't get any help to address the bullying and emotionally it impacted them significantly, I will have a lot of adults who even come to me and will ask me about it because they had their own experiences with bullying and they didn't work them through. And so if I see them in my practice now, they're having problems moving forward in their own intimate relationships or or their professional world, you know, because they feel like that bullied victim again, who felt like nothing and they had nothing.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say I work with a lot of people who Mm -hmm. are a lot of my clients are more like between 35 and 60 and many of them may have experienced some bullying, bullying, um, socially in school. And, but also for many of my clients, because this is, you know, I usually work with people who have complex trauma. There's also kind of like a sense that they were bullied within their families too. Um, and I'm not just talking about abuse in, The family, like physical abuse by a parent, but the siblings, kind of excluding one, or you know, kind of because of the dysfunctional dynamics in the household, the siblings are constantly. It's like on that show Survivor; they're like, yeah, you know, alliances just in that moment for for survival, and it it means that the kids are victimizing each other in various ways too, which really sort of sets the stage for that same person to be victimized in their other relationships because yes they're already vulnerable and that mm-hmm. person who wants to i guess get their aggression out by victimizing somebody can sort of sense who's vulnerable to that yeah you know
1: yes that's right and that's a very good point you make Laura because people ask me a lot why do people bully why is it that you see people bullying? Why do they choose the people that they do to bully? And it's actually what you just said. There's a vulnerability that kids, especially, can sense in other kids, and you know, as adults, we really appreciate differences in other people and we value it, we want it as much as possible. But kids don't like what's different to them. They don't when things that they don't understand and are different in a way that are are they don't get is a form for them of targeting other kids to to bully them. And I see that a lot with kids with developmental disabilities, with autism, maybe they dress different, the LGBT community. I mean, it's just, you see it a lot in, in places where people are different. And I love people who are different. And I, I think they're the most interesting people. But kids don't necessarily feel that way.
0: Yeah. And I mean, everyone's different, but also conformity is so valued in our culture. And for kids, you know, I guess they get that message that it's safer for everyone to be the same, do the same. Exactly.
1: And that's why even with other, you know, a bystander, whether they could be a positive or negative with a bully and a victim, a lot of times they remain neutral because they don't want to get picked on themselves and they're scared. And so their voice, though, can still be used. And I think that can be very empowering for kids is to know how their voice can still be used. And so they feel good about themselves, even if they can't say anything in the moment, you know, because they're afraid of their own repercussions of being bullied and stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah. So going back to that question of why do people bully? You touched on how they kind of uh, someone who's bullying chooses who they target, what makes people bully? What makes kids or adults bully other people?
1: So I think it starts sometimes with the role modeling in homes. Mm -hmm. If a mom and dad are very aggressive and they teach aggressive behavior, then that's what's role modeled for them. They may put that outside of the home in a bullying situation. Sometimes it might be the opposite where They feel victimized at home by their parents and, you know, they want an outlet to be able to actually bully others because they feel bullied, you know, but I do think a lot of it starts at home and with role modeling, I would say. Um, Other times, just be kids who just don't understand other people's differences instead of really asking or, you know, understanding more, just kind of bully them instead, you know, that, did you see that movie? It was out a couple of years ago, Wonder, about the kid. Oh, I know about it, but I haven't actually seen yeah. it. Yeah, so went to school and kids were really curious about him. And what I thought the movie did beautifully was he came out and talked openly about how he was different. And it took away instantly that defensiveness of other kids because he was open about it. And it made a lot of the kids over time, it didn't happen right away, really respect him and really support him. And that's what they're saying right now a lot is even with kids with disabilities, being open about them and not in a way where they have to tell their whole life story per se. But you know, Even acknowledging it and putting it out there takes the elephant out of the room of others' curiosity and how they seek curiosity to find things out. You know, it kind of takes that stigma away a bit, I think. And Wonder was a really good movie that I think uh, illustrated that well.
0: Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh, my gosh. Did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. The Institute for Creative Mindfulness is the EMDR therapy training brainchild of Dr. Jamie Marriage, a clinician and author who is on a mission to confront stigma around mental health, trauma, and dissociation. The Institute, informed by Jamie's work, teaches a somatic, expressive, Bottom up approach to EMDR therapy that does not treat dissociation like a dirty word. ICM empowers their students to navigate dissociation as a normal response to trauma and stress when it shows up. Dr. Jamie Marich is out and proud on various levels about her own recovery and is a strong believer in the healing capacities of EMDR therapy and helping our clients to heal from the impact of trauma. I and two of my team members have been trained by the Institute for Creative Mindfulness directly with Jamie, and I was impressed with how dissociation really was treated as just a normal aspect of trauma therapy work, which it is. Both Jamie and the consultants were matter of fact about if and when dissociation arises, it's okay, it's normal, and here's how you can help the client in that situation. The Institute for Creative Mindfulness is offering a coupon code to save 15% off any program offered by ICM. This includes their EMDR therapy basic training programs and a wide variety of their home study, advanced topics, and other CE offerings. Go to instituteforcreativemindfulness.com and use promo code 15 off for listeners. There's a link in the show notes. You can copy the promo code and use the link right there in the show notes to make it easy. all know that small actions can make a big difference in our lives. I know for me, I can be in a terrible mood, go out somewhere and see a stranger, make eye contact and just smile at them and find suddenly I feel good. Whether it's practicing mindfulness a few minutes each day, movement practices, small actions can have big benefits like how taking care of your gut can support whole body health. Seeds, DSO-1, daily symbiotic, benefits your gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. Your body is an ecosystem and great health starts in the gut. Your gut is a central hub for various pathways through the body and a healthy gut microbiome means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, our immune systems, and more. Trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com living and use code 25living to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com living code 25living. I've heard that that movie was wonderful and not to be silly with the name, but, and, you know, I think when my kids were little in school, they were taught in school Mm -hmm. to have empathy for other kids who were different. So Mm -hmm. if um, there was a child who had, let's say, down syndrome Mm -hmm. or something, the, you know, the kids would say, Oh, that's Susie. She has down syndrome, Mm -hmm. you know? And it was like they understood Susie seems a little different, but no, I know why. And Susie's okay. She's part of our class. She's part of our group. You know, we understand that. So it seems like they were teaching that kind of empathy in elementary school, which was great. But then when middle school and high school comes along, it's like it's more just I don't know. I I see this with clients, um, you know, as as they start to go through puberty, it's like, who's desirable, you know, who's wanted sexually, who's, who's like promiscuous. And, and it's all, it's like all of these labels and judgments about one another that are all being made without enough maturity to even understand (laughs) what they're doing, you know? So it's, you know, there's a lot of like competition and kind of meanness around Oh, yes, pairing up.
1: Yes. And that you pairing up, you bring up a really good point is the whole idea of clicks. Yeah. And it's a really big thing because I will talk to my middle schoolers. I'll talk to my high schoolers about it. And I'll say, well, why don't you just go and introduce yourself? You have a class together. Go over and say hi. And they look at me like I'm crazy. And they give me one of those looks like Danielle. What are you talking about? You can't just do that. You're either in the click or you're not. You can't just go over just because you have a class with someone. Everyone's already established. And the openness to new people depends on the hierarchy of where they are in the click. So I see this as a real dysfunctionality for kids to feel left out, to feel ostracized, to feel bullied. Um, and not a part of things and to have this lack of connection with other people that's so strong for them and um, it's tough I mean I even remember clicks when I was a kid you know but yeah I I feel like I may have been different but maybe I'm remembering incorrectly I would have been more open to new people because I always had different new friends that I would introduce to my other friends but I think it's more hard now. It feels that way at least from what I'm hearing. It's just very tough to get into a clique depending on where you are in that hi- hi- hierarchy unfortunately.
0: Yeah, and all of that is very it's like the kids are wanting to understand like why? Why is this person accepted and I'm not? I mean, I see kids who are all living in you know, a neighborhood where They should all be friends, and some are popular in the group and some aren't, even if they're in elementary school. And -hmm. the kids who are on the outside are like, Why don't the other kids let me play? Mm -hmm. They really don't know why. And, you know, I don't know why either. I mean, it probably depends on a whole lot of different things, but Mm -hmm. sometimes I feel like the parents model clickiness in our community. That's definitely true. It's like, you know, They The parents all gather with the people they know, and so their kids all play, and then they all know each other, and then that's the click.
1: It goes even a step further. You make a really good point, Laura, because what I also hear is the the parents will at times get involved and bully some of those kids Mm -hmm. that were already being bullied and will bully them worse and get involved, or they – They start gossip with other parents to make other parents feel uncomfortable. So it's like it's a parallel process almost going on where there's two levels of bullying happening, one with the kids and one with the parents. And it can be happening at the same time. And I do hear that sometimes. And it's really tough because you're asking parents will come to me and say, well, what do I do about this, Danielle? You know, I've tried to talk to the teacher. I've tried to approach the parent myself and nothing's working. They're not changing their behavior and they're still talking about my kid. They're still talking to other parents about my kid and there's no more support from the school at this point, you know, and it leaves them in a really tough position because now they feel as ostracized as their children potentially have been feeling.
0: Yeah, I think the theme that's coming to my awareness as we talk about this is kind of the parents and the kids, everybody kind of responding to what they feel is a threat. Yes. Yes.
1: And feeling threatened or their kids feeling threatened. And, you know, when I will often give talks about bullying, I will request that I have a talk with the teachers and I'll have a talk with parents as well, because sometimes they want to just put everybody together and I tell them that's not a good idea. And they'll say, well, why not? And I said, because sometimes teachers may have questions parents may not about certain kids, and it makes the teachers or parents uncomfortable. But everyone needs to have the same education. So every so there can be change at a bigger level, you can't just have a talk with one group and not the other, you know, everybody has to be involved in part of it. And I think that's one way we can help cut down on some of the bullying that adults and kids are both doing is by talking to all groups and really bringing the issues out and talking them through and understanding them at a bigger level.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is a a theme of this podcast in general, but I mean, it sounds like all involved need more empathy and compassion for one another and themselves. We see that people are impacted by bullying That they experienced when they were kids, even when they're older. So, can we talk about that kind of how bullying can be traumatic?
1: Yeah. So, if you were a kid and you were being bullied, I will use an example with myself to help illustrate it. You know, I was bullied as a, a kid in grammar school by other girls who would come up to me and then ditch me and run away from me and wouldn't talk to me. And they were people I'd had play dates with and now we're not talking to me. And then in junior high and high school, I was like teased and called names by boys in both junior high and high school classes. They were sort of sitting near me, kind of just making their negative comments. And it was really tough. I really experienced a lot of self-esteem issues. And this is what I see a lot where they don't feel good about themselves. They feel less than, they feel depressed. And if they don't get their own help, they may have a hard time launching into adulthood in a way that feels productive and good to them because they're still stuck with those old negative narratives that were told to them as children. And so even in my practice, I will see a lot of it. And what happens is even when you've had, let's say, therapy like I did, you know, to really kind of work through some of my self-esteem issues. I still can get triggered sometimes by certain situations. And I think that can still happen as adults where things come up and happen. And even if we've processed them through in our own therapy, we can still get triggered by our old thoughts and our old wounds and narratives that we had in our mind. So it's really, it's it's hard because there's no easy answer to it. I recommend therapy. I recommend working on self-esteem and depressive symptoms and you know, kind of pushing past that young child who was bullied into where they are now into adulthood, different defenses, and they're an adult. But you can still get triggered at times in certain situations. And that's happened to me, you know, once in a blue moon, where I do get triggered, or I've talked to other adults who get triggered, and it reminds them back to their bullying days, you know, and they can go right back there so quickly in their mind. It's it's huge for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It can really affect things that happen in childhood can Mm -hmm. really affect the way we view ourselves. And that can kind of stay with us for life. But do you recommend for people who have a child who's experienced some kind of bullying that that they get their kid into therapy?
1: I do if it's causing extreme depression, loneliness, a decrease in grades, having excuses for not going to school in the morning where they, they, they feel sick to their stomach. I had one woman call me saying her daughter throws up every morning before she goes to school. I, I have other clients who've talked about psychosomatic symptoms that come up with stomach aches and creating of situations to avoid school. So if school is getting avoided, if you're seeing more depression, isolation in your kids, change of grades, grades is a really big sign, I yeah. think. Bullying that we have to pay attention to, yes, then I would say if you see some of those signs and symptoms over time and a pattern of them, then yes, I would say it would be important to get them into some therapy. And, you know, sometimes kids love to be there, sometimes they don't. It takes them time to adjust and know you're going to be there so they can make use of the time. But yeah, I think it could be really helpful if some of those symptoms are present.
0: Yeah. So what about, you know, you were talking about. Bullying being a big reason that people seek out therapy or actually, you know, inpatient treatment. So you were basically saying when you started off that when you mm-hmm. were doing utilization reviews, is that mm-hmm. what it was? Yes. That, yes. That um the a lot of kids are going to inpatient hospitalization because they feel like harming themselves because of past experiences of bullying. So what are some things that parents should look out for? Like if your kid says this to you, even if you don't see a change in grades or they're not avoiding school, um, what are some like indications that kids can give in in what they say that would let a parent know they really need to get some additional professional help? Well,
1: it, it may be what they're not saying, you know, it may be that they're not saying very much or they're, you know, behaviorally acting different than how the parent knows them to be. Sometimes that's what I'll see and hear about is that parents won't know for sure what's going on. The parent, the kids may not be vocalizing it, but they see a change in behavior somehow. Whether they don't say something and they normally talk more or they're avoiding certain topics or they change the subject, they just look more depressed. It may not even be in things they're saying. It could be in just their mannerisms, even alone. But I always talk about a pattern of behavior So when parents look at behaviors and want to be worried about things their kids can say, it's a pattern of what they're hearing. Because a one-time thing could be a conflict resolution versus an actual bullying situation. So it's really the pattern they're seeing. Are they not talking as much and they used to tell them about their day in school? Are they just going right to their room? Are they just saying now how they don't like school anymore? Are they having more negative thoughts about their friends? You know, it's sort of maybe it's what's not being said. It's sort of the elephant in the room that may be avoided. And that may be some of what might be happening with being bullied. What I find a lot is kids go two ways. They either tell their parents what's going on or they don't. There's usually very little middle ground. Sometimes it's usually it's either clear cut and the degree is different or they don't say anything at all is what i'm i'm seeing a lot of
0: yeah i have kids in college and um recently on vacation one of my kids told me about some things that had happened all through middle school and in high school that i mm-hmm. and they my child said well you knew this was happening right and i said i i definitely did not have any idea that was happening and if i had i would have been very concerned so you know, I think kids think that their parents can read them better <laughs> than maybe they can sometimes. Or maybe my child thought I could read them better than I could. Like, you know, because I remember with with one of my kids, just a sense of like, I know something's changed. I don't yes. know what it is.
1: Right. Sometimes I think it's good just to ask the kids,
0: come out and say it. You know, I sometimes it will
1: be more forthcoming, but I think it's good for the kids to know you're thinking about it and say, you know, I've noticed you've been more quiet lately. You're not talking as much. Our conversations end a lot quicker. I just want to check out, are you feeling okay about everything? You know, I just want you to know I'm here. If you want to talk about something, I care about you. I care about what's happening in your life. I'm just putting it out there to you. You know, so they know you're there and you they, they know something they're doing may be different and you're aware of it and you're making them aware, but not in a way where they feel hovered over to have to tell you everything and they can come to you in their way that feels good to them.
0: Oh, that's great. That's very helpful.
1: Because I think putting it out there is still important. You know, I have, you know, clients will come to me as young adults and say their parents are making them come and, you know, we'll put it out there. Okay. Just, you know, but you're an adult at this point and you can decide if you still want to be here or not. And we just, we put it out there, you know, it's okay just to put the words out there. So people know you care and are aware, but we're not going to make you feel bad about it. We're not going to put you on the defense. We just want you to know we care and we hear what you're saying.
0: We hear it loud and clear. Yeah. And
1: that's very powerful for kids more than they can let on sometimes.
0: Yeah. I think a big part of what I'm hearing you say is that it's partly about having a presence with your kids that they know yes. they can come to you. Yes. And they feel comfortable talking to you about problems they're having.
1: Yes. And one of the ways that helps with that, you brought up a good point, Laura, is non-reactivity.
0: Mm.
1: And I really encourage that a lot with parents. And I know it's not an easy feast of me to ask of them, yeah. but yeah. I, that will allow your child to come to you in a more less defensive way and open up to you more. If they're not worried, they're hurting your feelings, they're letting you down, you're worrying about them, you've disappointed them. You have to come in that non-judgmental way, kind of using words like I just gave you as an example, you know, to really let them know it's okay. Their feelings are really okay, whatever they are, and not overreacting in the moment so they can see that they feel safe coming to you. And that's one way safety, I think, in that presence is developed.
0: I think that's something that is one of the hardest things about parenting is to, be able to hold whatever Mm -hmm. your child is bringing to you and stay calm. Yes. (laughs) Because, you know, when you, when you start talking about bullying, I picture like two things. One Mm -hmm. is a parent going, what? That kid bullied you. Well, you, you punch that kid in the face. You need to stand up for yourself. Don't be, you know, so that's the one side and the other is like, Oh, I'm going right to that school. I'm going to talk to that. Come on. We're going to the principal tomorrow. Well, before school starts and the kid in both situations is like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's not what I want to happen, uh, you know?
1: And, and so here's what I'll do in my sessions with some of the parents. I'll take that a step farther. So a parent tells me there's a kid on the sports team that's hurting his kid. He's going to go talk to the coach. It's going to be over. It's not going to happen to his kid and his kid won't be treated that way again. I said, so then what happens? What do you mean, Danielle? Well, okay, you go talk to the coach. So what happens with your kid? The kid stopped bothering him on the team and we're all good. Well, take it a little farther. If now the kid, you know, the bully knows that they were told on by the parent of the victim, then they're going to bully your kid even worse. They're just going to be more sneaky about it. Oh, so, you know, it's mm-hmm. looking at the bigger picture of ramifications, I think, and the logical pieces. If If I do this. This could happen because re-victimization is huge, Laura, for bullying. And I see it all the time. And, and people who have are well-intentioned, they mean well, but and they're trying to do the right thing, but it really can hurt the victim. So in a parent's thinking, when you're right, they have those two lines of reactivity, but you have to take it a step further. And I tend to do that with my parents and say, okay, so now what's going to happen? Well, what do you mean? And then you kind of have to take them through the potential other scenarios based on that conversation that could have happened between the parent and the coach or bringing the two kids together, the bully and the victim and their parents into a principal's office is even worse. So, you know, those things just don't tend to work. Studies have shown and the kids who are being bullied will be re-victimized. The bully is just going to be more sneaky about it.
0: That's great to hear the, you know, it's not great that it's like that, but it's great to no. hear that, you know, that idea of carry this a little further than just this moment. You're trying to yes. like make yes. yourself feel better in this moment because right. I mean, nobody wants to allow their kid to be mistreated or to,
1: you know, yes.
0: stand by and do nothing. But then that reminds me of maybe a third response that I think could happen with many parents, especially if they've been bullied themselves. I think, you know, there's the fight back mm-hmm. side of it, or there's the shut down side of it where the parent is like, just ignore it. Yeah. And so what happens in, so what happens sometimes we
1: see this a lot is if a, if a victim has been bullied over and over again, what happens is they finally retaliate because they've had yeah. enough and they can't stand it anymore. And guess what happens? Who gets in trouble at that point? the kid who's being bullied because they're the ones whose behavior is wrong that the, the adults are seeing. And so the other behaviors get ignored or don't get addressed as much. Or if they're quiet about it, they're just internalizing all the emotions and feelings and not really dealing with ways to feel empowered to have some control. And that's one thing I talk a lot about in my program is the whole idea of locus of control, which is what we have control over in our lives and what we don't. And our own bodies and our reactions to things we have control over, and I teach that to a lot of my clients, is that we do have some control. And they, they're like, what do you mean? And then we take them through scenarios and activities that we do in the program, and we really help them see that they do have more control than they think in every situation they're in, even when they're being bullied.
0: So does your program help people learn how to resolve conflicts even when it's not bullying?
1: Yes. I mean, I've, I've had people come to me and say, you know, we don't need the program, but we'd like some of the skills. Could you use that in some of your sessions with uh, some of the clients? And yes, you absolutely can, because it doesn't mean it has to be just bullying. It can be other issues as well. You know, and I can use parts of my program and we, we work on other skills as well.
0: Okay. So how can a parent know if it's a conflict resolution type situation or a bullying situation?
1: So what I look at, a conflict resolution is a one-time thing. It's not a pattern of behavior. I look at bullying as someone having power over someone else repetitively over and over again, whether it's one day after the other, it's one school grade into the next. And that's the difference. A one-time issue between two people is more of a conflict resolution issue, where it's a one-time thing that both people are contributing to. bullying is a repeated pattern of something. So if it's continuing to happen over and over again, then, and they have power over someone else, those are the real important words, repetitive and power. That is when it's considered bullying.
0: Okay. That's a good distinction to have because, you know, again, if, if a parent was bullied, they may be so sensitive to bullying or like in my situation, I was a kid Mm -hmm. who was so sensitive that, you you know, things that people where I was like the only kid at school with red hair and people used to say, why do you have red hair? And I took that as bullying when they really wanted to know why I had red hair. And it took me until Mm -hmm. I was about 40 (laughs) to realize (laughs) that there wasn't any ill intention behind it. Maybe the way they asked was a little rude, but kids can be like that.
1: Kids are. Yeah, they're very, they aren't always so nice about things. And I think you're right. You make a good point that sometimes kids may ask things very abruptly, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're bullying you. They just may be very abrupt in how they approach you.
0: Yeah. And then when I, those kinds of things I would tell my parents about, not the more serious things, but those things. And my parents would have advice like, you know, call them this or yeah. Here's a snappy comeback, you know, and it was like, so the parents, my parents weren't getting either really yeah. like what was needed in that situation. They didn't ask how I felt about it and they didn't try to help me think about what I wanted to happen or, you know, and kind of guide you more and help
1: exactly. support you versus just telling you what to do and what to feel and how you felt. And that's where we lose our power with our kids you know, is when we don't give them the opportunity to tell us how they're feeling. And because they're already feeling powerless by the time, most of the time when we learn about the intense bullying going on. So we have to give them their power back. And that's one way of guiding them and letting them still have a say in things.
0: Wow. This has really been interesting and helpful. I think that this will be useful to a lot of people who are listening, whether they are someone who's been bullied they're a parent or if they're a therapist who works with kids because even I think as therapists sometimes we can sort of discount and it's partly because the way you get the information it might be minimized when it's brought to you Mm -hmm. you know either the parent kind of downplays it oh well she you know she doesn't have a lot of friends or she all the people she used to be friends with don't talk to her anymore but you know she's got this other friend so I think she's okay and then the kid's like yeah, I don't really care about that. It's not important. So Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, well, I guess it's not a top concern. But then, you know, if we as therapists can kind of think about, could there be more to this? And how -hmm. would I try to, you know, help the person feel more comfortable, make space for them to be able to express whatever they really feel about these friendships?
1: Yeah, and be able to kind of talk through things. And without judgment and still be there to listen to them and support them. But, you know, be honest with them. You know, I, one thing I see a lot with middle school and teenagers and even young kids too. Is kids like honesty, they're honest, they're resilient, you know, and honesty is really valued, I think.
0: And they have, um, well, respect. well-developed BS detectors.
1: Yes. Yes. Which I love. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm very, very direct with my clients and I will tell them that my middle schoolers, particular and my high schoolers that, you know, I, what you, what you hear and what I say are going to be the same thing. I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat, you know, I'll be empathic to you and caring, of course, but, you know, I want them to know, cause I want them to be able to trust me. And I think we develop that with parents as well. when we're direct like that. Then they think they can trust you also. Trust really comes from that, I think.
0: Yeah. And I think a big thing too, when someone's experiencing bullying and they don't even know how to put it into words, is that they fear yeah. that no one will understand or they won't Handle it right or that's,
1: and that's a really good point you make, Laura, and I hear that a lot with schools, you know, is they do their best sometimes. They do their due diligence, but all parents want sometimes is to be heard and to be, you know, convey that they're being heard. Okay, so you're gonna help by doing this. This is our plan. We'll follow up with you afterwards, or and they don't even have to give, you know, the HIPAA compliant information about what they're actually doing to the other kid. Because that's really so unimportant if you're conveying to the parent well, that you're taking care of it and you're following up with them in a way to let them know you heard them. That's all they want. They don't need to know the specifics of how you deal with the other kid. We know that's HIPAA compliant, you know, confidential kind of stuff. But they just want to know that they're being heard. You're right, Laura. Yeah.
0: I think that they're probably wanting to know that they can count on the school that they care about their kid. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I and I think one of the hard things about dealing with problems that your kid has at school when it involves another student is that not just because of um, confidentiality, but the school has an equal responsibility yeah. to each kid and they know that the other kid is a kid too. That's right. And they may know that that kid has problems at home that they aren't going to tell you and you don't need to know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in every both kids have to be treated with respect and dignity and care, and so do the parents. And I think the parents who get frustrated are the ones that don't feel like they're being heard, or it's not being conveyed back in the words to them. And that's all they're looking for is they just want to know that action is being taken and their child is being cared about.
0: Yeah, because I think if you're the parent of the kid who's bullying, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of shame and distress. With yeah. that, too.
1: Yeah, I do too. I think, and in, in, sometimes they don't know what's going on, so they're caught off guard. They, they wonder where it comes from. They don't understand. It, it can be, it's both sides of it. And what I see for kids who are the bully, the best way to work with them that I've seen over time in programs that have been successful is really giving them positive role model jobs. So, you know, helping them solve problems and solutions to problems with negative behavior, and not just keeping them in a you're in trouble role, but really giving them more of a positive role to be. And that seems to really take away the bullying aspect for kids who are bullies, when they can be put in more of a positive role model light.
0: Yeah, when I've worked with kids, and I used to work a lot more with younger kids than I do now, but when I worked with kids in elementary school where they kind of had like a label, whether the kid really knew it or not, it was kind of like implicitly they understood that they were seen as a bad kid, a Mm -hmm. problem, you know, that just for a teacher or anyone in the school, the counselor or the librarian, somebody who actually... Mm -hmm seem to think that that kid was capable of more than acting up and, you know, misbehaving and Mm -hmm. give them a chance to do something where they can show that they're, quote unquote, a good Mm -hmm. kid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it really does
1: work in middle and high school too. They've done some studies with different uh, evidence-based school programs and they've really seen nice results with that.
0: Yeah. It's like for that kid, it's so, it's like, wow, somebody thinks I am not a bad kid. Mm-hmm. You know, cause kids see things in such a right. black and white way, but we as adults yeah. have to be able to do better than that.
1: Right. And if we put them in, help them solve problems of, of situations and put them as positive role models, most of the kids rise up to that and want to help. And then, you know, it changes and diverts them away from the negative behavior. Quite a bit.
0: Yeah, because really any behavior a kid has is just an attempt to get a need met.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, why not try in a positive way to help them and model that for them? And it seems to work pretty well.
0: So, Danielle, before we wrap up for today, will you tell our audience a little bit more about the name of your book and where people can find it?
1: Yes. It's called The Empowered Child, How to Help Families Cope, Communicate, and Conquer Bullying. And it is found on Amazon. And if you go to my website, www.empowerment.space, there's also a link on there to the Amazon website for my book. And I also have other blog articles on there, various bullying topics that might be of interest to your viewers, some of the children and some that also face adult issues. And uh, there's a lot of good information on there.
0: Wonderful. Well, I will put a link to your website in our show notes and the link to the book. And I think that you've shared a lot of really valuable information. I think that's going to be really helpful to our listeners. And hopefully if they want more information, they can either reach out to you or get your book. Do you work with people who are not in your area?
1: Yes. Great question, Laura. I do a lot of consultation that I can do via Skype. So I do consultation. Absolutely.
0: Okay, wonderful. Wonderful. And they can find that through your website too? Yes, they can find
1: my, they can contact me on my website. My um, my uh, email is on there and a, a place to sign uh, to be able to notify me or want to talk to me is on there too, where they can fill out something for that.
0: Perfect. Danielle, thank you so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today.
1: Thank you for having me, Laura. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks again for listening to my interview with Danielle Matthew. I hope you found it interesting and maybe found a new way to think about bullying. I would love to hear what you thought about today's episode. So please, as always, feel free to leave me a message on SpeakPipe. And thanks, as always, for listening to Therapy Chat. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Just another reminder that if you'd like to become a member of Therapy Chat, Supporting the podcast while receiving fun member perks and being able to communicate with me one-on-one, go to patreon.com/slash therapychat. If every subscriber donated just one dollar per month, Therapy Chat would be able to keep going strong indefinitely. Thanks so much for your support. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com